0: The following sermon was recorded live at Foundation Foundation Church of Fredericksburg in downtown Fredericksburg, Virginia. We'll be in Psalm 107 today. Psalm 107. I hope that your summer... Reading in the Psalms is going well. If you haven't picked up a, a, a reading plan for the summer, you can still do that and just jump in. Uh, plenty of, of schedules are there out on the, um, on the music stand outside that you can grab. Um, it's really rewarding to read the Psalms. The Psalms are the hymn book of Israel. It's the, it's the songs that God has given us. It's his own words which we can sing back to him. So I encourage you, if you're, if you're not already regularly in the Psalms, even daily, that you would begin that habit and that practice now of reading the Psalms, and you'll, you'll soon find that it's a rich reward for your soul as you, as you study. And you begin to pick up the language and the, uh, the desires the psalmist communicates, and it's valuable to the Christian life to give flesh and words to a lot of the emotions that we, that we feel. And it gives those emotions a a tinge or an instinct of godliness. It helps us respond to our life the way the psalmist is, both in our despairs and in our our circumstances, our celebrations. The psalms teach us how we can approach God uh, in reverence and in worship. So so I encourage you, strongly encourage you to to begin, if you don't already, to read the psalms regularly uh, as part of your, your daily scripture reading. Let's turn to Psalm 107 now together and read it. And then I wanna invite you afterwards, I'll say this is the word of the Lord and you can respond, thanks to be to God, for this is God's word that he gives to us. Psalm 107. I'll give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the world say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and the south. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of man. For He satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul He fills with good things. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons, for they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So He bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help, and they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness, in the shadow of death, and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of man. For He shatters the doors of bronze and cuts in two the bars of iron. Some were fools through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquity suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. And let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds and songs of joy Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, His wondrous works in the deep. For He commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and He delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and He brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol Him in the congregation of the people, and praise Him in the assemblies of the elders. He turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. He turns desert into pools of water, a parched land into springs of water, and there he lets the hungry dwell and establishes a city to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield. By his blessing they multiply greatly, and he does not let their livestock diminish. When they are diminished and brought low, through oppression, evil, and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and make them wander in trackless wastes. But he raises up the needy out of affliction. He makes their family like flocks. The upright see it and are glad. And all the wicked, wickedness shuts its mouth. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your word. Guide us now in our study of it, that we may see truly, clearly, your purposes for us. We will behold the beauty and the power of the gospel and come to behold and be grateful for Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen. Why are we here? No, that's not a trick existential question, like what is the meaning of life? I mean like really, why are we here? Why have we gathered this morning as Foundation Church? What's the, what's the purpose, week in and week out, of our meeting together like this? Well, the wise among you may seem, what's well, to worship God? And amen, you'd be right. It is to worship God. We gather each day on the Lord's day to worship God. But the astute of you may recall that Christians can worship God in spirit and truth. They need not gather in any particular place with any particular person to worship God. So, certainly, that can't be the only reason we've gathered here. Well, again, some might be astute at a study of Ephesians 3 and a good student of yours truly and say, yes, Ephesians 3 tells us that the church gathers to display the glory of God. And so we're here not simply to worship God, but to display the glory of God to the heavenly places. And again, I would say amen. We are here to reflect God's glory to those who watch, both in our community and the hosts of heaven, both those there and the fallen angels. We display the story of redemption and the gospel in our lives as we praise God and worship Him. And so, yes, we are here to worship God, and we are here to... Glorify God through displaying His glory and manifold wisdom to the heavenly places. Amen and amen. The psalm here, however, gives us yet a further and clearer reason for why we gather specifically as a body and why we do what we do when we gather. Why have we gathered to sing and to teach and to read from God's Word? and to welcome and greet one another, and to spend time as a family in Christ, even if it's for these two hours, one particular day out of the week. The aim of this Psalm 107 is, is actually the same aim in our own gathering. What's happening in this Psalm? It's rehearsing the faithfulness of God. It's retelling of the faithfulness and the glories and the mercies of God's deliverance of God's people. And it's singing and praising God for that truth. And that's what we do. We come here not only to worship God and to glorify God through the display of His wisdom in the gospel to the heavenly places, but for ourselves to rehearse the faithful mercy of God in our lives and the lives of all of His people so that we too would be compelled to worship Him more faithfully. That's what Psalm 107 does. Rehearsing the faithfulness of God in such a way to compel us to worship Him. Where do we see this? Well, just in the first couple of verses, verse 1 and verse 2, there's a command or a call to worship. Give thanks to the Lord. Why? For He is good, and His steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. So the psalm begins with an invitation to give praise and worship to the Lord for His goodness and His steadfast love. But it's not just that verse, but the the repeated phrase. You may have picked up on it as we read through. There's several of them. But look in verse 8. Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of man. This is repeated there in verse 15, verse 21, and verse 31. Four times that phrase is repeated exactly. Let them give thanks to the Lord for a steadfast love and His wondrous works for the children of man. Not only this, but it's repeated also in the, each of these distressing situations that Israel cried out to the Lord for help, and He heard their cries and delivered them. And it's for this reason they would give thanks to the Lord. So the Psalm rehearses God's faithfulness in the delivering of His people To compel Israel, those who would come and sing this psalm, to worship and give praise to God in particular ways, mindful of their particular situations, hopeful of God's continued blessing and faithfulness, whatever may come. Not only this, but in Psalm in verse 43, he ends Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things, to consider, to meditate, or to dwell on these things. What things? The faithfulness of God. His wondrous works to the children of man. His redemption and deliverance of God's people over and over and over again. Whoever is wise, he says, let him attend to these things. Let him consider the steadfast love of the Lord. So what do we do on Sunday mornings? Well, yes, we sing and we we hear from God's Word, we celebrate in the Lord's Supper. Our task, however, each Sunday when we gather, is not simply to worship God. That's the big idea. Our task is to, like the wise man at the end of Psalm 107, is to attend to the faithful mercy and deliverance of God. It's to consider the redemption of God in our lives and give praise and thanks to God in worship. Does that make sense? What we do is not simply worship, but it's remembering. It's rehearsing God's faithfulness. We rehearse God's faithfulness in lots of ways when we welcome one another. How have you been? How has your week been? It's been good. It's been difficult. How has God been faithful? How are you struggling to believe in God's faithfulness? That's in the first 10 minutes. We consider, rehearse, and meditate on the faithfulness of God in our songs as we sing, drawing our attention to the mercy of God in Christ. We've prayed a prayer of confession and heard an assurance of pardon. God's faithfulness considered and rehearsed. We hear from God's word. We see stories of God's work at work in the world. We participate in the Lord's Supper each Sunday. Another way we rehearse God's goodness and gladness to us in Christ. We pray together the Lord's Prayer. We receive a benediction and are dismissed. All of these are signs that point us, week in and week out, to the faithless of God. This is a rehearsal of God's mercy. We do this every week because we are so prone to forget. (coughs) What does the hymn say? Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Week in and week out, we come like Psalm 107, to remember the faithful works of God, to give thanks for His wondrous works among the children of man so that we would not forget what He has done for us. Psalm 107 is a declaration of the goodness of God. Look again in verse one. Give thanks to the Lord for He is good and His steadfast love endures forever. This is a declaration of the goodness of God. Not only in verse 1, but again in verse 43, the last verse, tells us that God is good. We must consider the steadfast love of the Lord. It is a declaration of God's love and goodness. And it tells us, therefore, that we would be wise to consider those things. Wisdom, friends, is hard to find. Very few of us often possess it. Foolishness is the way of the world which denies Christ. Dismisses the work of God as, as foolishness, as folly. But the wisdom of God is power in Christ. We should consider such things. And when we do, like in Psalm 107, the glory rightly ascribed to God It begins to work on us and work in us. And the effect of this is a lifting up of our souls out of the mire of our despondencies. Out of the difficulty of our situations, our countenance is raised. We remember, oh, God is good. Are you struggling to believe that this morning? Is there a situation you find yourself in where you're tempted to say, when it comes to this, God is not good. I'm in pain, I'm in pain, I'm struggling in a relationship, I have a hard time at work, my children are disrespectful, I can't seem to get that thing I want. When it rains, it pours, and I'm tempted to believe God, he's not good. He's mostly good, but he's he's not all the way good. Friends, you have to remember that God is good. And when we set before our eyes, Through God's word and when we gather on Sunday, we set before our eyes the goodness of God. We look no longer down at the badness of our lives. But our countenance is lifted to see and behold the goodness of our God. And that's where wisdom is found. This is what verse 43 says. You would be wise to consider these things. Let him who is wise dwell and meditate and consider the goodness of God, His faithfulness and mercy to you and to His people for all time, always. Wisdom is found in calling out to the Lord in whatever particular distress you may find yourself in, not looking in your own circumstances, Proverbs 3, leaning not on your own understanding, but on Him who is wise, contemplating the Lord's provision and deliverance It makes us wise. And wise not so that knowledge may puff up, but wise to endure the trials and the circumstances that press us on every side. And this wisdom promises us true joy, true satisfaction. It leads us to worship God. And so we come Sunday after Sunday to God's word to set before us God's goodness that we may recall and remember he is faithful beyond words. Psalm 107 really is the third in a trilogy of psalms. It's the beginning of the book five of the book of psalms which is really largely about praise and thanksgiving. It's about celebration of what the Lord has done. But it really belongs partly tied to Psalm 105 and 106 which tells of a narration of God's faithfulness to God's people. Even in their wandering, his dealing with them, his promises to them, their hope in his word and his work, and ultimately they're they're looking forward to his fulfillment of his promises. 107 picks up and says, We will praise God for he has continued to be faithful, and so we will continue to hope in his faithfulness from generation to generation. The plea at the end of 106 is answered in 107. Look in verse 47 of Psalm 106. Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from all the nations that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory and your praise. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Let all the people say amen and praise the Lord. This is a psalm of hope that God would do what he has established and promised, covenanted, that he would do. Thus begins Psalm 107. O oh, give thanks to the Lord for He is good, and his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so whom He has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands from east and west from the north and the south. You see how the psalm is already picking up on the language of the Psalm 106, bringing in God's people to the presence of God that they may worship and praise God just as they had prayed that they may do. This is a psalm then to be sung as a reminder of God's goodness and continued faithfulness in Israel. It's ultimately a call to praise God. And there's an there's, there's a imagery happening behind the scenes here one of returning from exile. Think of an exodus as Israel is led out of Egypt by Moses into the wilderness and ultimately through the Promised Land. Or perhaps as God releases them from exile in Babylon and Assyria back into the Promised Land that their fathers had once held. That there is a rejoicing that God would continue to deliver them over and over and over again as He is doing now and has always done. It's this hope that God, who has established His covenant with His people, will always be faithful. And this isn't simply unique to Israel but to Christians today. Psalm is important for us because it reminds us that as we set God's faithfulness before us, His goodness to His people before us, we too are reminded and established in hope that His faithfulness endures from generation to generation. That the God, as 106.48 says, is from everlasting to everlasting. and that Psalm 107, verse 1 says, His goodness and His steadfast love endures forever. To all of the redeemed, we sing and we praise. So I'm going to consider briefly what it means to give praise to God as the redeemed. Notice in the first three verses we see that there is a praise befitting the redeemed. There is a kind of praise and laud and honor that we bestow to God and only can bestow to God because we are redeemed. There is no other praise like the praise of the redeemed. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, that He is good, and His steadfast love endures forever. Those whom He has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, let them sing and praise and say with gratefulness in their hearts that the Lord is good, and His steadfast love endures forever. It's those who are redeemed from exile that are called to praise God and offer unique praises and songs and thankfulness to God because of how they have saved them individually and corporately as a people. To whom do we give praise? To our Redeemer. We give praise to our Redeemer. He has redeemed us from trouble or distress, it says in verse 2. Particularly, we praise the Redeemer for His goodness Give thanks to the Lord for He is good. Consider the goodness of God for just a moment. What does it mean that God is good? It means more than He is adequate, that He is sufficient, that He makes no mistakes. To be good means to be perfect, morally perfect and upright. It means that God is all righteousness all the time. In fact, our definition of good must conform to the nature of God's goodness. We understand what good things are because we understand first that God is good. We cannot conform God's goodness by our concept of what is right or good, but we conform what we understand as good, right, or perfect by our understanding of the nature of God. He is morally perfect and righteous. He defines goodness by His very nature. And it is this perfection and beauty that forms the foundation of all the other attributes of God, namely His love. That is, give thanks to the Lord for He is good and His steadfast love endures forever. That repeated phrase in 8 and 15 and 21 and 30, we see that there's a repeated phrase of the love of God which is displayed as an act of His goodness, His perfection, His righteousness. So we praise God for His goodness and for His love. God's love is His perfect kindness bent in favor to others. When we sing of the steadfast love of God, we think of His goodness and His kindness working for us, bent in provision for His saints. We benefit from the kindness and the mercy and the goodness of God because he loves and he is loving his goodness flows to us through mercy and love and care and in grace not only is he good not only is he love but he is eternal his steadfast love endures forever he is the god of israel from everlasting to everlasting. So it is this God who is forever and always will be good, who is always and forever will be love. It is the eternal God from everlasting to everlasting who endures forever, which will never cease, fade, or tire, bending himself in service to his people. This is to whom we sing, our Redeemer, who has rescued us from darkness. But for what? Well, we sing to our Redeemer for our redemption. We give thanks for our Redeemer redeeming us. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble. Notice that we've been taken out. We've been taken out. We've been removed from our trouble and our distresses. This is what the psalmist intends to remind his readers of. We sing of the Lord taking us out of our distresses and troubles. He removes us from calamity and destruction. He sees our circumstances, hears our cries, and brings us out of distress. And so we are called to praise God from deliverance. But not only are we taken out, but we see then that we are gathered in And verse 3, gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south. From every direction we are gathered. Not only are we taken out of our distress, but we are placed and gathered into a safe harbor of refuge in God. This is a double blessing. Not only are our circumstances that would destroy us, prevented from overcoming us, but we are given safe refuge and harbor in God as He saves us and delivers us. He gathers His people to Himself, saves us from sin and condemnation, even from His own wrath, by sending Christ, who would gather and purchase by His own blood a people for Himself, that we may be gathered together and sing praises and worship to God prophet Isaiah speaks of this in verse 5 of chapter 43. He says, Fear not, the Lord. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west. I will gather you. I will say to the north, Give up. to the south do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, I will create for my glory whom I formed and made. Bring out the people who are blind, yet have eyes, and who are deaf, yet have ears. All the nations gather together, and the peoples assemble. Who among them can declare this, and show us the former things? Let them bring to their witnesses to prove them right, and let them hear and say, it is true. God delivers, and He gathers His people. Jesus will say the same thing in Luke chapter 13, verse 29. He says that all people will come from east and from west, from north and from south, and will recline at the table in the kingdom of God. This is Jesus' prophecy about what he will accomplish in his own death and who he will establish by his own blood, a covenant people that will come from all corners of the earth to recline at the table in the kingdom of God. Revelation gives us a picture of this. And every tribe, tongue, and nation will sing and worship God in splendor and holiness and in majesty. So the Lord redeems and He gathers His people together. Or as Spurgeon would say, gathering follows upon redeeming. Once we had been redeemed, He calls us to worship God together in assemblies. We give thanks to God together for how He has saved each one of us and all of us together. It is good to gather. You see now how the purpose of this psalm and the purpose of our Sunday mornings is to gather together, to sing the songs of the redeemed, to put before our eyes and our hearts what God has done week in and week out, year in and year out, generation for generation, and all past saints, that He has redeemed His people and gathered His people, sustained His people, and He has kept his promises to his people and we sing songs that remind us of that. We sing psalms that teach us the goodness of God. We we remember that together as we give praise to God for the work that he has done in Christ for us. We gather because we've been redeemed. Under obligation, compelled to worship the Lord for all of his goodness and his steadfast love. So in the remainder here of the text, I wanna show four acts of God's redemption and the life of His people. Four acts of God's redemption and the life of His people. First, we must learn and remember that we have been redeemed from our desolation. We've been redeemed from our desolation. It says in verse four that some wandered in desert wastes. Your translation may say in the wilderness finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them, and they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached the city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love and His wondrous works to the children of man, for He satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul He fills with good things. We are to praise God, because He has redeemed us from our desolation. We were lost, it says in verse 4, wandering in the desert, but God leads us to a safe place by what he says is a straight way in verse 7. There is a clear path. He lines for us. I think of Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress where the evangelist teaches to Christian about the road he must travel on to get to the celestial city, warning him, that the roads that are wide will lead to destruction. And he must stick to this, to the path that is straight. Jesus' words reminds us of this. That the road that leads to destruction is easy, and is wide, but the road that leads to life is narrow. God leads us on this straight way. He guides us, he sets us on the path to heaven. Isaiah 53 verse 6 tells us that all we like sheep have gone astray, and we have turned each one of us to our own way. So we have stepped off the path of righteousness, of obedience and faithfulness to God, but it is God who intervenes in our lives, who rescues us in our trouble, and sets our feet back on the path of righteousness toward the celestial city. We were lost, but God leads us. Our souls were agitated, longing, despairing. There in verse 5, hungry and thirsty, our souls fainted within us. But in verse 9, we see that the Lord satisfies the longings of our desires with His goodness. The hungry soul He fills with good things that is with Himself most ultimately. Friends, one encouragement and one warning from this act of redemption. First be encouraged that we are not abandoned by God even in our wanderings, even as we step off the path, God comes to the rescue of his people. Jesus says he would leave the 99 to retrieve the one. He loves and therefore will not abandon his people even as we wander and step off the path of righteousness. His word will guide us back on the path towards heaven. This is why coming together on Sundays to remind us of this faithfulness is so important. Lest you be tempted to take one step after another onto the path of destruction. But there is a warning here as well, friends, that sin is costly. And that the road to hell, they say, is paved with good intentions. We do not wake up one morning desiring to walk on the road of destruction. And we find ourselves on such a path by degrees step after step sin ultimately friends is costly you know this it will set us out on a journey that promises reward promises blessing promises happiness promises joy but ultimately it will leave us lost in the wilderness it will not reward us or satisfy us it will only make our longing in our souls more deeply felt and more intently needed and we wake up one day and we find ourselves alone in a wilderness, wondering if God has forgotten or abandoned us. But we've been redeemed from such desolation, and the Lord will continue to guide us by his word onto the path of righteousness. This is why we praise God. For all of us, it says there in Isaiah, we're like sheep who have wandered, who have gone astray. But the very next. Clause in that passage says, the Lord has laid on him, his servant, the iniquity of us all. That is, Christ would come, that he may provide the way that we might return onto the path that leads us to heaven. So we are re- redeemed from our desolation. Secondly, we give thanks to God because we have been redeemed from our rebellion. In the next verse, Verses 10 through 16. Notice that we've been rebelling against God from birth. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons, for they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. And so we bowed their hearts down with hard labor and they fell down with none to help. They cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let us give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works for the children of man, for he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts into the bars of iron. So we learn from this text that we are, we are rebellious against God's word there in verse 11. We are rebellious against God's word and it, it's in his words in which the fount of life springs forth and when we spurn it and turn it away, we spurn and turn away God himself, his counsel, We reject God's word and therefore his counsel, meaning we ultimately rebel against God himself. We insist that we know better than God. That's what you do when you rebel against or reject or spurn God's word and counsel. You are insisting that you know better than God. This is an age-old problem. Genesis chapter 3 was the beginning of the plight of mankind. The serpent's question to Eve in the garden was, Did God really say that if you ate this fruit you would die? No, he just doesn't want you to be like him, knowing good from evil. And hearing this, Eve looked at the fruit, saw that it was desirable, took it and ate. Insisting we know better than God, desiring to have greater knowledge than the Lord himself lands us in the wilderness. It puts us in direct opposition and rebellion against God and in His Word. It's the height of arrogance to assume that we can turn our attention from God's Word to our own minds as if we have greater knowledge and wisdom than the Lord Himself. This is why verse 43 tells us that we would be wise to dwell on and consider God's Word, not our own opinions or knowledge. Let all that we know, say, and do be founded on that truth, God's liberation comes in the form of His servant. We are in bondage, in sin, and in darkness because of our rejection against God. It has clasped us into prison, and God liberates His people in the form of His servant. Isaiah, again, in chapter 61, says this, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. This is the Spirit of the Lord, the servant of the Lord speaking. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, Has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. If there is one analogy to describe our heart's condition, our soul's condition in sin, it is as captive prisoners of sin. And it is the servant of the Lord who comes to free those captives. How does he do this? The servant of the Lord himself suffers. We're told that he becomes sin, who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. So God liberates the captives who are imprisoned by sin by sending his own servant, Jesus, to take on the penalty of sin, that we might be freed from such captivity. Again, an encouragement and a warning, brothers and sisters. First, be encouraged that your bonds then to sin can be broken. If you find yourself caught in the mire, in the thicket of sin, know that you can be liberated from such oppression. If you are bound by sin, know that the gospel can free you from such captivity. All you need is to trust in the goodness and the steadfast love of God displayed through the work the person of Christ. Know that the servant of the Lord, Christ has come and taken on the pains and penalty of sin so that your own bonds could be broken. Not only are you freed from the penalty of sin, but you're also liberated from the power of sin. You are able to walk in freedom and righteousness, now having the ability by the Spirit to say no to sin and yes to the Lord, which we could not have done before. But there is a warning. We must not only remind ourselves that our bonds can and will be broken by the Lord, but that sin is slavery. It promises freedom, but it always will end in captivity. It does not allow us to go on free. It's been said that sin always takes us further than we're willing to go and costs us more than we're willing to pay. It is a form of bondage that only the gospel of Christ can free us from. So we give praise to God and thanks to God because he has redeemed us from our desolation as we wandered in the wilderness. He has redeemed us from a rebellion as we rejected God's truth and God himself insisting that we know better, bonding ourselves to sin. And we give praise to God because third, he has redeemed us from our affliction. He has redeemed us from our affliction. Verse 17, some were fools, through their sinful ways, and because their iniquities suffered affliction, they loathed any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Our sins, remember, pose a mortal danger to our souls. All of our sufferings and afflictions flow from such sin. Our natures are corrupted. Humanity is flawed. The creation is groaning under the weight and burden of the fall. We become disillusioned with God because of sin. We're unwilling and unable to lift our eyes and worship to Him. It's as if we have a sickness that is afflicting us, that causes us to despise any kind of food. Have you ever been so sick that you lose your appetite? You're not interested in eating? You can barely get down a sip of ginger ale? This is the kind of near to death our souls are. Beset with the sickness of sin. But again, God delivers us. How does he do this? Look in verse 20. His word is sent to heal us. He sent out his word and delivered them from their destruction. Let him thank the Lord for his steadfast love. His wondrous works are on the children of men. His word is sent to heal us. Not only this, verse 21 and 22. His word then will lead us back to worship. Let him thank the Lord for his steadfast love. Wondrous works of the children of man. Let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds and songs of joy. Not only are we broken of our chains of sin, but we are led back to the Lord to worship in spirit and in truth. His word (coughs) is sent to lead us back to worship. You know, from Psalm 119, 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Or Isaiah would say that the word of God does not return back to him void, but accomplishes all that it has set out to do. We know that God's word leads us. It heals our affliction. It binds up our wounds, and it draws us back to the Lord in worship and in truth. Christ is God's word who heals our iniquities. It is Christ as the word of the Lord that leads us to the Father. The truth is that the Word, this Word, Christ was sent into the world to heal us. And He leads us back and restores to us worship to God. Christ is this Word. Again in Isaiah 53, verse 4-6, through Surely this servant has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions, He was crushed for our iniquities and upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds we are healed. Again, we have mentioned before, all we like sheep have gone astray and have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So how does the word then lead us back to the Father to worship? The word becomes flesh, John says. The word himself takes on the transgressions of his people. He is wounded that we might be healed. He becomes afflicted that we might be drawn back to health, nourished by the word and the food of God. Again, one encouragement and one warning. Be encouraged, brothers and sisters, that God has provided a balm for our afflictions, our sickness and our corruption of sin in our hearts and bodies. God has provided a balm for our afflictions not only in Christ, but also in His Word and in His Spirit which He has sent to us. We have such a remedy for our sin and our affliction. We can be healed by the wounds of Christ and we can be tasting and knowing and trusting and fed by the Word of God that can lead us to salvation and we can be led and guided by the Spirit that He has sent for us. This is a great encouragement to God's people who find themselves over and over again not only bound by such sin but brought low by the sickness sin has brought on their lives. This is the warning, brothers and sisters. But sin is a cancer. It is like a sickness which we must be very careful and intentional to root out. Sin, like cancer, spreads folly and hatred of God in the heart. Make no mistake, friends. Sin will kill you if left untreated. This is a terminal illness we all enter the world bearing. Christ alone is our great physician. He has saved us and healed us by his own wounds. He has taken on the cancer to himself that we may be free from such sin. So we praise God for he has delivered us from our desolation, our rebellion, Fourthly, He has redeemed us from our destruction. In verse 23, some went down to the sea in ships doing business with great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, His wondrous works in the deeps. And He commanded and raised the stormy wind which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven, they went down to depth, and their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men were at their wits' end, and they cried to the Lord in their trouble and He delivered them from their distress. Again, we see this picture of destruction, of near death. The treacherous storms of sin and the trials of life are threatening, sure, final destruction. And in such a storm that we find ourselves in life, death will seem certain. We do not find a way out of this storm as we scour the horizon and try to peek over the waves which consume us. But friends, the storm is only acting according to the Lord's design. He is the one who brought up these waves, and He is the one who makes them to be still. Verse 29, He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed, and they were glad that the waters were quiet, and He brought them to their desired haven. He commands, and it obeys. All the winds and waves of life are at the command and will of the Father. We see then in the lives of these sailors and in those who are redeemed, we give praise because fear gives way to gladness. They were glad that the waters were quiet and that he brought them to their desired haven. In stilling our fears, he brings us to our place of gladness and safety. Again, receive an encouragement that all of life's calamities are in the Lord's hands. He alone can calm our troubled souls. He alone can make us glad. We may not have the full picture of God's purposes in our struggles or how sin ultimately will work for good under God's sovereign purposes, but we know that God indeed is good and we praise God. Take encouragement that we worship a sovereign God who is not thrown off by the sins of mankind, but be warned as well. Sin is very deadly. It swallows us whole. We are out in a tempestuous sea, in a life raft, with no oar. It is certain death. Sin will swallow souls whole. It will capsize and consume any vessel that you aim to row under your own strength. No, it is only the ark of God that will provide salvation for the Noahs of God's people. Christ is such an ark. Remind yourself, friends, that God has provided an ark of safety from you from the floods and the storm. He is redeeming you from your destruction. As sin comes to take you under, God provides a way. In the story of Noah's ark, Noah is to preach to the generations in front of him. The door is open to all who would come by faith and enter into the ark. And yet we know when the floods start coming, it is only Noah and his family and the animals he commanded to bring that were in. And then God shuts the door. He shuts the door not only to keep the flood out and not within, but to warn us a judgment that once the door of God's ark shuts, we cannot get in. That the judgment of God's flood will come down upon us. Sin will swallow us and God's judgment will condemn us. But friends, there is still time for us to climb into the ark of God's salvation. Like Noah and his family, by faith we may enter into the ark of Christ and receive salvation from sin's deadly seas. So we give praise to God for his acts of redemption. He has redeemed us from desolation, redeemed us from our rebellion, redeemed us from affliction, and redeemed us from our destruction. As we conclude, we'll do so with just a picture of the goodness of God. In verses 33 through 34, we see this description of God's goodness. He turns river into desert, springs of water in a thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. But also, verse 35, he turns a desert into pools of water, a parched land into springs of water. And there he lets the hungry dwell and establish a city to live in. for They sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield. And by his blessing they multiply greatly and he does not let their livestock diminish. He cares for and loves those who come to him by faith. This is a description of the Lord's goodness, his praiseworthy goodness, which lies in His sovereign and gracious work in redeeming and reversing the curse of sin on our lives and establishing no longer enmity but peace with us. He has made a dwelling place for His people. This is what God does. He establishes their place of dwelling. This is what those under the first circumstance were wandering from. They had no city to dwell in. But here we see that he establishes a dwelling place for them. In verse 36, he comes and lets the hungry dwell and they establish a city to live in. That is, in Christ we dwell in safety. And so we praise God for his goodness. It is the reversing of the curse. After Adam and Eve sinned and transgressed against the Lord, he cursed the ground that Adam would work. He cursed Adam and Eve in their childbearing. They cursed the serpent. And all of creation now groans under the curse of sin. All of the world is laboring like a woman in birth pains that the Lord would redeem this. And the promise here is that God can and God will. What is dry and barren, what is salty and unfruitful will turn into a stream of water. That will parch the thirsty, that will bring yields of food for those who are hungry, that will establish a dwelling place for those who wander. This is God's goodness at work. He has established such work in the person of Christ. His word has come, dwelt among us, suffered for us, and was risen on our behalf so that we may taste a picture of the reversal that is promised here. That all sin is dealt with on the cross and will ultimately be overturned when Christ returns. The psalmist gives a final exhortation in verse 33. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. This is our goal. This is our aim. Not only each Sunday, but specifically here from Psalm 107 to contemplate the Lord's provision and deliverance that would make us wise, make us wise to God's goodness and faithfulness so that we will endure our own trials, that we would turn to Him who has redeemed us from sin and destruction and affliction and continue to trust in Him as He redeems us and delivers us from whatever trial we may face. As we wait for the promises to unfold and be fulfilled, we trust, we meditate, we consider the goodness of God. We attend to these things. That's the exhortation. How do we do this? Four quick things. It's no secret ingredient. These are Sunday school answers. First, read. Take up God's word and read. It is his word which leads us like a lamp in a dark place to the light of the path of righteousness. Read God's word. Read of God's faithfulness to Israel. Read of God's faithfulness to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to David, to Moses, to the disciples, to Paul and his travels, to all of the missionaries who would go forth, know, read, God's word leads us to trust more deeply in God's faithfulness. Friends, if you do not read your scripture, you will not become convinced that God is able to do what you so desperately need him to do. Take up and read. Secondly, gather. Notice the impression here this psalm gives on the gathering of God's people, that it is in the congregation where these songs are sung that these praises are offered. Certainly we can give praise to God alone in any place at any time, but is there something unique when we gather together and sing and praise God together as we gather and worship to God, remembering and setting before our eyes these very things, even sharing with one another how God has redeemed us. So we must read, we must gather. Third, we must sing. Friends, do not let us neglect to sing. There are many styles and many ways to sing. But friends, we must sing. Let us lift our hearts with gladness. That is the work of overflowing praise for what God has done. Sing songs of gratefulness and gratitude to God for what He has done. But lastly, we must pray. To follow the wise example of verse 43 here, we must ultimately pray. What was the recurring theme of those in distress? They cried out to the Lord and he delivered them from their troubles. Pray to the Lord that he may give you and equip you the necessary power to overcome your temptations, that he may deliver you from your distresses, and that you may sing with joy and satisfaction and see clearly the wisdom of God at work in the world through Christ, that you may walk in faithfulness and abundance, that the promises here promised to his people are promises to you. Let us attend to such things. Let us consider the steadfast love of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the steadfast love of the Lord. What it means and has accomplished. It has sent Christ the word to us. It has established for us our hope. It has delivered us from sin and darkness, from destruction and from affliction. It has delivered us from our own wanderings has delivered us, Lord, from our rebellions but our hearts even now, Lord, are often prone to continue to rebel to chase after the things of our own hearts and desires but you, God, you continue to be faithful to us and through your word this morning and in scripture call us to return to faithfulness on your path of righteousness encourage us, Lord, to take up this word and read to believe its words. Lord, enable us to pray and cry out to you in our moments of distress. Let us not forsake the gathering that reminds us together as a family what you have done for us and encourages us to press on in faithfulness and in trust. And let us continue to sing in truth all that you have done Acknowledging not only the truth of our own lives and our own redemption, but also those with whom we sing. We pray for those, Lord, who cannot truly sing this, that they would this very morning, upon hearing these words of the psalm, be pricked in their heart by your spirit to trust you, to believe on Christ who has died for their sins so that they could become the redeemed and join in the chorus of those who sing the song of the redeemed. We ask this, we pray, as always, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All sermons are released under a Creative Commons, non-commercial, no derivative 3.0 license. If you would like to learn more, or listen to past sermons, please visit us at foundationfxbg.com.